It's the most anticipated WNBA season in history. And you know what that means. Court is back in session. Welcome to Queens of the Court, an Odyssey original podcast. I'm your girl, Cheryl Swoop. And I'm Jordan Robinson. All WNBA season long, we'll be bringing you interviews with star athletes, analysis on your favorite teams, and lots of hot takes. Order, order in the court. Follow and listen to Queens of the Court on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Right on, baby. Yes, sir. Bears fans, this is Take the North. It's real simple. You know, if you take a person's legs away, they can't run. With your hosts, David Hawn. I want to remind people, there is no award for coming to the conclusion fastest on a quarterback in your football city. Nobody remembers, and frankly, nobody cares. And Dan Weeder. Particularly in this town, we start to get the extremes trying to outshout each other, right? Those who think that he's a bust are trying to outshout those who think that he's going to be an absolute seven-time All-Pro. We're going to take the North and never give it back. Welcome to the Take the North podcast, free on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm David Haw from 670 The Score, the Mullane Haw Show, every morning, 5.30 to 10. Dan Wiederer from the Chicago Tribune covers the Bears at Hallis Hall. Adam Sadzinski is our producer. Download, listen, and subscribe to the Take the North podcast. We'll be here every Tuesday morning and Friday morning and Sunday nights after the games with our instant analysis and reaction. Dan, busy whirlwind week at Hallis Hall. A lot of activity, a lot of transactions. By the way, Dolphins coming to town. This is a team that some people have dubbed a Super Bowl contender after their trade for Bradley Chubb, who, by the way, signed an extension and will be playing on Sunday. How would you describe the week that was and how ready the Bears are for this challenge? Remember when the Bears went to New England and upset the Patriots 33 to 14 in Foxborough, David? Yeah, a long time ago. Yeah, it feels like it was 14 years ago at this point, and it was like 12 days ago or 11 days ago now. And and so you, you realize how much has happened inside this building. You realize the the amount of emotion that's been spent by players in that locker room and coaches in this building, and, and you understand that there's a toll to that, right? There's a ripple effect that is naturally going to bleed over into this week. I think that the challenge, right, is figuring out how quickly you can get yourself steady, how quickly you can get yourself focused, and how quickly you can make yourself competitive down a couple players on defense that would have helped you be better. And so it's been it's been a weird week out here, I would say. A weird week full of emotion with guys being very open and honest about about some of the, you know, the deflation and discouragement that they've experienced, but also realizing it's time to rally and and, and obviously they have to rally by noon on Sunday when they check back in to Soldier Field. By the way, for their first Sunday noon game at home since the month of September. And it feels like it has been a long season for the people following the Bears and maybe even to the players themselves. But when you look at the schedule, you got to realize it's still the midway point of the season. There's still a half a season to go. Yeah. Halftime of the Dolphins game will mark <laughs> midseason officially, but nine games left to be decided. I don't know if that's the good news or the bad news, but it will be uh, something we'll keep an eye on moving forward. It has been an exhausting, exhilarating week. Nine games left, as you mentioned, six of them coming against teams that are currently inside the frame of the playoff picture, right? So you're going to be playing some some quality opponents down the stretch of the season, and, and you really can't afford to have many uh, major lapses in, in concentration or focus or emotion or whatever it may be. You're going to have to be sharp uh, to avoid being embarrassed, much less trying to win a football game. Well, let's talk about the football game they're trying to win on Sunday against the Dolphins in our opening drive. It's time for the opening, the, the opening drive. All right, Dan, so as we've been talking about, since the last time the Bears were on the field, they have traded their uh, leading tackler, the leading tackler in the NFL, and they have traded for somebody who gives them another weapon on offense and Chase Claypool in, Roquan Smith out. Uh, Robert Quinn, by the way, in Philadelphia since that Patriots game that we last talked about when everything seemed very different. How have the Bears mentally handled this week? Because it's upheaval, change, difficult for veteran teams to handle. Got to be a challenge for a young team like the Bears, even though they do have some veterans who – uh, have this has not gone unnoticed in that locker room. No question. And I've appreciated the defensive leaders on this football team, most notably newly appointed captains, Eddie Jackson and Justin Jones, as well as Jalen Johnson being as candid and open as they've been with their feelings this week to kind of describe the, the whirlwind of emotion and the roller coaster that they've been on. I thought it was really interesting to hear Eddie say on uh, Wednesday afternoon, I guess it was that look, you know, the, the, the young players 
are looking around the locker room saying, yo, did, did this really happen? You know, what's going on here? And Eddie realizes his place now in year six of, of having to be the guy that, 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 puts everybody's mind at ease, right? And tries to get them back to normal while still acknowledging that, that he himself was in his words, in disbelief, shocked, you know, when Roquan Smith was traded early in the week. And so there is that level of surprise, that level of shock, that level of disbelief that they're trying to still get their brains around while also realizing that they've got business to tend to. And in the NFL, the business is usually uh, very, very demanding. Right. And so it's going to be very interesting to see how they handle that. Uh, you know, like I said, we did we did have a, a, a lot to uh, sift through in the locker room this week. And, and we'll get to a, a, a bit of that here in a moment. I'm just curious how how, how you feel the the emotional challenge is going to present itself, particularly this week in a game that, that requires some sharp attention on Sunday. Well, a couple things. Number one, I want to be consistent. I think that the emotional toll is worth noting, and certainly you can't ignore it because these are human beings and they talk about it. We ask about it. We want to know how much they miss Roquan Smith, how they're going to move on without him, how are they going to accept Chase Claypool. There's a lot of uh, the, the big human dynamic, which you can't ignore. But when stuff like this happens, I also think that I don't know if that gets overstated, but when you have a team that whose margin for error already is as thin as the Bears' margin for error is, sometimes we overstate or it really doesn't matter how emotional they are about this. They could handle this in the most mature way possible. They could cope in a way that is you want to chronicle and, and present at clinics. They could be the model of maturity. And, Dan, I don't think it would matter. I don't think it's going to make them any quicker and able to cover Tyreek Hill. I don't think it's going to make them any more physical at the point of attack to stop the run. I don't think it's going to make them any uh, better blockers or runners or passers. So I think the emotional part is important, but I don't think that it's going to matter. I, I, I'm with you on 98% of that. I will say that when you hear a team captain like Eddie Jackson say that he had the thought in his head this week of saying, what are we playing for? Is the vision upstairs still the same as we have as players? It tells you that there's a level of... Uh, early disconnect, right? Like you can create the connection again if you're if you're Matt Eberflus and Ryan Poles and the other coaches in this building to try to get that connection reconnected. But when you have players sort of uh, thrown off in, in the way that players were thrown off here over the last two weeks, it, it, it does create a need for troubleshooting. It does create a need for leadership. It does create a need to get guys back on the same page of, of how we're going to approach this now, how we're going to rally together. And I think that'll be, be really, really interesting to see uh, not only Sunday, but for the next three or four weeks as they get used to their new reality. No doubt about it. And I think that's where I think is it's a very fine line. It's a del delicate balance to strike. You're on parallel tracks here. What I'm referring yeah. to is that it not mattering when you're playing the Miami Dolphins in that offense? Sure, right? sure, I don't, sure. I don't think you're you're going to be able to muster any sort of resolve that's going to make you any better defending Tyreek Hill deep, right? But if you're Eddie Jackson, you have to remember that even though the reality is as harsh as it as it has now become, that you have you have a, a, another responsibility here. You are creating a culture. I thought it was really interesting. Our guy Big Z wrote a column, and he talked to a personnel guy that told him this. Yeah. He said, and he, and he described it this way. He said, at the same time, you want to win. You're trying to build and sustain a culture, but you're also trying to build and sustain a roster. Yep. They almost don't go hand in hand, and that's what I'm talking about. What Eddie Jackson will get to and Jalen Johnson are doing, the leaders of this team are trying to do and have to do and keep in mind is that they're trying to maintain and sustain a culture that this new regime represents and everything about it is good. But the roster is so limited that it won't matter how good they approach this and how, how mature they are because it's just there are going to be limitations to that, which is, I think, kind of what Eddie Jackson was alluding to, or at least you heard it in his voice when he said this, when asked about what this week has been like. I'm a player, you know, I, I really don't involve myself what goes on upstairs. You know, I get it, you know, it's year six for me, so I get it, you know, it's, I understand it, you know, it was, you know, a good move, you know, as a, as a GM, you know, to try to get something, but I mean, like I said, it's, you know, here we build type, different type of relationships, you know, the upstairs people not, you know, they're not down here with us, they're not going to war with us, so, you know, that's kind of become a brotherly bond, you know, it becomes deeper in football. So it's, you know, it kind of it kind of hurts. But like I said, you can't control it. You know, we got to control what we can control. 
So that's the first page turn, right? It, it, it's the acceptance and it's the, it's the you can control what you can control attitude that Eddie Jackson is trying to implement around with his brothers. I did thought, think it was notable that Eddie said that when he came out to the walkthrough on Wednesday, that you could hear a pin drop, right? It was so quiet and it was quiet because guys were dragging a little bit. It was quiet because Roquan Smith's natural voice was, was missing. Just the physical and, and emotional presence that he brought out to the field was missing and it was a little strange. And so Eddie had to kind of rally the guys together and say, look, like we've got to be grown men here it's time to it's time to understand that this is what we've got and this is what we've got going forward and so we've got to band together and use this to do our best going forward to continue building what we want to build i think there is a a, a mature acceptance from a lot of guys that okay you know the the general manager is is doing what he thinks is best to put us in position to win championships down the road and so we're going to trust that until we realize it's not to be trusted anymore right and so you at least have the initial buy-in that they believe in their general manager and their general manager has done enough in being a human being to connect with guys to, to make them feel like he's got the best long-term interests of this team at heart. Still there, that, that bridge is, it's like, you know, it's one of those rope bridges that gets a little yep. wobbly at time and yep. you got to get to the other side and you can't sprint across it because if you sprint across it, you're in big trouble. And so uh, it'll be really interesting to see where it goes. Another interesting piece of sound out here. Uh, I, I, I guess you got a thought and then we'll, we'll, well get to yeah, I think it's interesting because you said m- mature acceptance. And I think the most mature part of that, what we heard from Eddie Jackson, and I think throughout the locker room, was the acceptance. You heard more acceptance than defiance, right? You heard more resilience than resistance. And you could go either way when you have a, a, a movement like this, when you are uh, being accused of losing for winning. Or yeah. you, when you say you can't win for losing, tell that to Theo Epstein, tell that to you know every team that has tanked the thing that we're not supposed to do the Miami Dolphins are being penalized <laughs> this weekend's opponent because they were more overt about it what the Bears have done I think I refer to it as disaster by design that's overstating it it's a nice alliterative but it, you know you know what I'm talking about so in that locker room when you have leaders that are showing an acceptance level that alone is maturity and I think there's a reality that they have grudgingly maybe accepted but it's there and I think you heard that from Eddie Jackson, and I think you're uh, you heard that from Jalen Johnson when you talked to him this week. Yeah. So it was, I, I, listen, like Jalen has been one of my favorite people since he got here, even over Zoom in 2020 during the pandemic year, because he's so very thoughtful. He's so very engaging. He's very honest with almost all of his answers. And so he was sort of revealing to us on Wednesday afternoon in the locker room how he learned of the trade to Roquan Smith. And he said he was leaving Hallis Hall on Monday afternoon and and, and he saw the news and he, he, he basically froze. And he was asked for his initial reaction and he gave it three letters. WTF were Jalen Johnson's three letters for that. And, and, and that was the, the reaction of a lot of guys in this building. And so I followed up and I asked Jalen, you know, how do you go about moving through WTF when you've got to when you've got to get back to the business of football? Here was that exchange. I mean, I got the number one and number four wide receiver. So, I mean, I love Roquan, but I got some dogs coming to town at the end of the day. So, I mean, my, my mind went from that situation to now what I can do to do my job better, what I can, what plays I can make this upcoming Sunday. So, yeah, right. I mean, good stuff from the third year cornerback who understands like, look, like if I take three or four seconds to feel sorry for myself and this team, I'm losing time to prepare for Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle and the rest of this Dolphins offense. And I better really get back down to business really quickly. Nobody is going to care about how much that Jalen Johnson is up against it and how how shorthanded the Bears are when it's third and nine and he he's feeling Tyreek Hill on him quicker than any receiver has been on him all season long. Look, and Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill coming in, this is the most dangerous one-two tandem that they have played this season, statistically and I think otherwise, Dan. And they have played Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen. That may be a good debate. But the numbers say the Dolphins come into town, the most dangerous tandem the Bears have faced, and Jalen Johnson has no time for self-pity. And he he knows that, and I think he accepts that, and that was that was a fun bite. Well, and that's where you need coaching leadership as well, in addition to player leadership, to to just set a course every single day and every single uh, segment of every day to, to make sure guys are locked in and going. Uh, we also had a chance on Thursday to hear from defensive coordinator Alan Williams, who obviously has a job that is much more difficult now than it was two weeks ago, losing his two defensive captains in Roquan Smith and Robert Quinn, uh, now having to adjust, now having to to try to groom Jack Sanborn to be ready to play meaningful NFL 
personnel snaps, trying to find other answers, maybe moving Nick Morrow over to the weak side linebacker position and and shuffling some things up to, to just figure out how they can squeeze results out of this. But I also asked Alan Williams today, look, like we talked to the players all week about their their reactions to these trades, their reactions to picking themselves up. You, you know, what is it for you that allows you to to process everything that's gone on, understanding that you're the defensive coordinator and the leader of all these guys? Here was Alan Williams' answer. Life. Uh, I would say uh, 10 or 15 years ago, uh, I'd be bummed and it would linger on for, for a long time. Now I'm still bummed, uh, but I recover a, a lot quicker uh, mentally. Um, so I, uh, I know that in the NFL, these things do, do happen. Uh, that's the, the, the bad part of it. Uh, but now it's time to, uh, as you get, I'd say older, a little bit more experienced. Um, you, you don't let those things linger because people are counting on me. Uh, my guys are counting on me to go, Hey, uh, what is, what type of attitude is coach bringing into the room? Is, uh, is he in the tank or does he have a healthy perspective of, of what's gone on? And I try to bring a, a healthy perspective to, uh, to losing guys and, and still, uh, acknowledge it, uh, and then move on in a positive direction. So David, the, the, the six words for me that are the headline of that soundbite are my guys are counting on me. Right. And that's gotta be the collective attitude of every single player and coach in this building. My guys are counting on me. I have to do this for the other guys that are around me. And that's the only way they're going to survive. Look, we talked about this at the outset. They have nine more games. They have 10 more weeks. They've got to lock in and stay locked in until the middle of January with all these things that have gone on around them. And so it's 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 a challenge, but my guys are counting on me, right? Like that's what you have to come back to each and every single day to get yourself up, get yourself in the building, get your work done, get your, your, your yourself ready to, to produce on game days, whether you're a coach or a player, my guys are counting on me. I love football coaches. <laughs> I, I mean, I love football coaches. I can't help it. I, I, I speak the language and I, I'm all in and I've been all in since I was 12 years old. I, I love the way Alan Williams approached this. I think that everything that he said, the only thing I disagreed in, uh, with him the, the, when he was at the podium <laughs> was the fact that he thinks that they're better without Roquan Smith and Robert Quinn. And he's basically said that because he has to say that. Correct. And the way that he is maintains a positive public face, no matter how discouraged he must feel. And he may go home and, you know, bemoan the reality that he now has inherited and he's got to get Jack Sanborn ready to, you know, go up against this dolphin uh, offense. He's not going to, he's going to be a step and a half behind possibly. And yet, I like everything he said and, and the way that he said it. Alan Williams has been nothing but impressive to me. I know they're not a very good defense, and I even think they could be among the worst in the league in the second half of the season. I might have even gone that far on the radio and called them the worst <laughs> in, a fit, in a fit of overreaction. But, but I don't think it's because of the way they're coached. I think this is a very well-coached team. I think they have their challenges ahead of them. But what what he said was what I would want my defensive coordinator to say when faced with reality without your best linebacker, without your best pass rusher, and having to face this challenge. Yeah, rah-rah speeches aren't going to get this thing on, on track. What's going to get this on track is determined effort. My guys are counting on me effort, right? That that's it. And 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 look, like you know that 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 goes beyond football, right? And and right. when you're part of a team that that you feel united with and connected to, and you're willing to to go the extra mile to make success a, a, a better reality, then then you, you're onto something. And the Bears have to figure out how to make that happen. Understanding that there's a longer term vision beyond 2022, but that you can't just scratch 2022 out of the uh, calendar and say, let's just flip the page to the next training camp, because you still have to go through the steps of building a winning culture and a winning program. Even if the results on game days don't turn out to, to be winning results. Well, let's flip the page and make our predictions and look at the numbers game. Hey everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. 
All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod. There is another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, let's start with our predictions, and then we'll get into the numbers game because we want to get Adam Sadzinski involved here because I know he's chomping at the bit to make his <laughs> prediction uh, because he has some some profound words to add. If uh, if Adam is there and ready to go with his prediction, I think sense may common sense may prevail this week. <laughs> prediction? What do you think, Adam? Yeah, common sense. And, and look, you know, even if the Bears still had Robert Quinn and Roquan Smith, I'd probably still be going with the Dolphins because they're just the better team. I mean, they're so explosive with. You know, you heard in the in the Jalen Johnson cut, two of the top four receivers numbers wise in the in the in the NFL right now. And two has been playing really well with this with all the players they added to him. They just added running back depth too with uh Jeff Wilson from the 49ers. So it's it it's probably gonna be a long day for the defense. I don't I would hope that they don't give up 40 plus again like they did against the Cowboys, but it could happen again. <laughs> and the, the, I think that the Bears are going to hang around, though, because Miami will is will give up points. They're going to be able to run. I mean, the Bears proved last week they can score against a good defense, and Miami's defense is not as good as Dallas. So I think it's going to be close, kind of high scoring. I th- on, on, on the score website, I said 30 to 24 Dolphins, I believe. So that's, that's what I'm going to go with. I just, you know – I think also I got a weird feeling about an Eddie Jackson pick six when I was driving <laughs> today. Who knows if that happens? But if Eddie Jackson gets a pick six, I think the Bears win. I just for whatever reason that was just in my head. But uh, but I, I I'm picking the Dolphins. I just the Bears just don't have the firepower on defense to keep up. Ultimately, is what it's going to come down to. Studs is having visions, David. I know Eddie Jackson with a pick six. That will be fun <laughs> if that happens. I can't wait for the reaction to that. It'll be a special segment unto itself. All right. So studs is picking the dolphins. I think that is the way most people are leaning Dan, I'll go with mine. I think the bears offense, uh, we think chase Claypool will, will play 15 to 20 snaps. Maybe Luke gets, was vague on how many, but I think they'll probably try to incorporate him slowly into the offense. Uh, maybe if they simplify it to the degree that they have, for Justin Fields, it will be easier to pick up for a guy like Clay Poole, who is in his third season. Uh, I think the Bears will score some points this week. I think the offensive momentum might continue against the Dolphins. The Dolphins struggled a little bit against the Lions, so they're not exactly, you know, the class of the AFC just yet. But they're going to have a hard time stopping anybody. And I think it's going to be Miami 35, the Bears 27. Well, I'm joining the party of the Dolphins getting north of 30, and I've got the Dolphins 31 and the Bears 23. I do agree with you that the Bears' offensive momentum should continue. They're running the ball as well as anyone in the league right now. They're still on pace for that 3,000-yard milestone that we've talked about previously. That's a number they should they should put on their radar, right? Because in a season where you're trying to look for any carrot to chase, that's a good one for this organization to, to, to go and try to chase down. Uh, I just I, I just cannot see a way that they pick themselves up enough to stay in this game and stay competitive given what they're up against uh, defensively. And and we'll see. Maybe Eddie Jackson does come up with that uh, that pick six that Studs, Studs called for. Maybe that's a vision or maybe it's a hallucination. And so we'll, we'll determine that on Sunday afternoon by the lakefront. But yeah, I've got Dolphins 31, Bears 23. So every week, Dan, in the Chicago Tribune, chicagotribune.com, you have a great numbers package that kind of crystallizes things to look for and also is a good way to to kind of evaluate the matchup at certain positions between the organizations and we like to pick apart we three or four numbers and look at them a little closer on this podcast so let's start that today what is your first number my first number is what we've talked about already three or four times on this very episode of this podcast 1688 that is the collective receiving yardage total of Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. Oh, my gosh. They rank first and fourth in the NFL in that category. They also have combined for seven touchdowns. Uh, it's a pretty impressive 
stat line for those two guys. Here's a comparison. The entire Bears team, that's wide receivers, running backs, and tight ends, have 94 catches for 1,204 yards and seven touchdowns. And so these guys are, are, are topping the Bears or matching them in every single category. Uh, that is going to be a handful. Alan Williams said on Thursday afternoon in Hallis Hall that, that, look, like we understand that Mike McDaniel moves these guys around also. Uh, and so I think his, his phraseology was, you have to find out where Waldo is before every snap. And Waldo, to him is a Tyreek Hill, B Jalen Waddle. You got to know where they're at and then uh, adjust accordingly. So let's see if they can make that happen. Unbelievable numbers, tremendous challenge. I have two questions. Number one, do you think Jalen Johnson travels with Tyreek Hill no matter where he goes? I know he's raised his hand to do so. I personally would like to see it because I like the ambition and the the audacity that that Jalen Johnson has to to want that task. I just don't know how you can do it defensively in a way that makes sense with all the other things that the Miami Dolphins do. It just puts a lot of strain on a lot of different other players when you have to move around so frequently, right? Because Tyreek Hill doesn't just line up in one spot. And so now if you're shifting Jalen into the slot, which he's done at times before, he's got to figure out how to play the run from the slot and, and do some other things in there. And there's just a lot of moving parts to it all that are dangerous to play around with if you if – you, uh, truly respect some of their other playmakers, which the Bears certainly do. I'd mix it up without giving away tendencies. I'd try it in different zone defenses. I'd try it in different man defenses, but I would try it on occasion just to keep things guessing. Maybe throw two off a time or two. Maybe he'll throw you the football. The other question, harder to answer because I don't think that you can. It's more of a rhetorical question. Do those two receivers make two a Tungavailoa better and have made him into the uh, uh, kind of quarterback the Dolphins can believe in? Or has he, by taking a step forward this year with the concussion issues and just by improving his accuracy, has he taken advantage of a couple weapons and grown himself? Is it the chicken or the egg discussion? My pie chart says 80% star receivers, 20% quarterback growth. That, that's what my eyes tell me. I mean, look, Santua's playing some good football. He's had some really nice games. You go back to week two and the explosion he had against the Ravens. Uh, th- th- there's a lot to like about the way he's playing, but there's also a lot to like about the guys he's able to throw it to. And so I think Justin Fields has to be sitting there saying, boy, I can't wait for the day when I've got a couple dudes, right? And I've got a couple guys that, that, that I can really uh, use in a lot of different ways to, to make opposing defenses feel freaked out and, and tense and strained and trying to figure out where they want to defend first and so yeah i i think it's probably uh four or one <laughs> one or the other if, if that makes sense to you but that, yeah it's a good question well that's a relevant takeaway because every fan at soldier field on sunday and watching at home in the living room or bar room are going to be saying i can't wait till justin fields has guys like that to throw to because then you'll see him arrive okay what's the next number 62 and that's the number of points the Bears have scored in the last two weeks, right? And that, that's a, a total that for, for this organization over the last three or four years has been hard to reach. I went back and looked uh, late in the 2020 season. They scored 110 points in a three-game winning streak. That was the, the the streak over the Texans, Vikings, and Jaguars that that ultimately helped the Bears get that number seven seed in the 2020 playoffs, which ultimately I think we would agree was a bad thing for this organization because they decided to keep themselves on the same uh, the same path, believing that they were still a championship contender and they weren't, and it delayed the reboot by a year and put them in, in a weird predicament. But hey, 62 points over the last two weeks tells you that the offense has made a lot of growth, Considering where they were on October 1st, considering where they are on November 1st, you see growth and you see progress and you see productivity. It's time to keep that going and keep that consistent now in the month of November so that we can we can talk at the end of this month and say, boy, how about two months worth of growth from the Chicago Bears offense? Nine more games of offensive momentum, progress, incremental improvement, if you will. That would be something that a lot of Bears fans would call a positive season. There will be many moral victories, and if the Bears continue to score 31 points a game, there may be a little more real victories too, but people will take that if it means quarterback improvement as well, so that's a good one. All right, so this last series of numbers is roster-related, and the first first one of that number is four, and that's the number of guys currently on the Bears' 53-man roster or on injured reserve 
who were first round picks when they entered the league. They only have four first round picks. I'll give you, David Haw, the first opportunity to try to name all four of them. If so, you win a uh, sleeve of Hostess Donuts. Okay, so four first round picks the Bears have chosen that are on injured reserve? Not necessarily ones that the Bears have chosen. The four first round picks that the Bears have either on their 53-man oh, roster or on injured reserve that, were, that entered the league as first round picks. Alex Leatherwood. Ding. Um, boy, the Riley Reef. Ding. Um, I think that not, not Michael Scott, uh, not Chase Claypool. Um, <laughs> boy, uh, you're missing an obvious one. Who's the obvious one? Justin Fields. There you go. Ding. Okay, ding. And then the other one would be not Justin Jones. Who's 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 the fourth one? All right, you don't get your sleeve of Hostess Donuts. The fourth one is Nikhil Harry, right? So those oh, are yeah. your those are your four guys on the roster: Justin Fields, Nikhil Harry, Alex Leatherwood, Riley Reef, who entered the league as first round picks. That's notable this week because they subtracted first round pick Roquan Smith from the roster earlier in the week. That gives them, David, the number of players left in the building that were Ryan Pace guys, right? And remember, Ryan Pace was in this job as recently as as ten months ago. At this point, seventeen. 17 left that have ties to Ryan Pace, which is hard to fathom. One more number for you. I'll let you guess this one. How many players currently inside the building here at House Hall played in the double doink game, the infamous playoff game at the end of the 2018 division championship season? Um, that would be, I can uh, offensively, it's uh, <laughs> offensively, David Montgomery wasn't here yet. So it's Cody Whitehair and Eddie Jackson, two. The answer is three. It's Cody Whitehair, Patrick Scales, and DeAndre Houston Carson. Eddie Jackson was on the sideline of that game, but if you recall, Eddie Jackson had an ankle injury and did not play in that double-doink game, and so you have three players left who played in the double-doink game. That was supposed to be the opening of a lengthy championship window for this organization. Here we are, November 3rd, 2022, and there's only three guys left who played in that game. due respect to Patrick Manley, I don't know if I count long snappers. They don't come to my mind quickly, okay? (laughs) They are definitely just barely above kickers, but I think they do serve a very important purpose. Three people, that's pretty bad. Eddie Jackson not playing in that game, I forgot about that one, but boy, that seemed like ages ago. And so the last, just the last thing before we flip this page, because I went through with the the subtraction of Roquan Smith, who was obviously a first round pick who played well, right? But obviously played to a level that he thought deserved higher compensation and the Bears disagreed. You go back through the 21st century of Chicago Bears drafts and you find me the guys, the first round picks that became true studs. And the list may start and end with Brian Urlacher. You could make a case for Tommy Harris. You could come down a tier and, and maybe throw in Kyle Fuller. You could maybe, maybe possibly say Kyle Long. But my goodness, David, we're 22 years into the century, and we are struggling to come up with a list of first-round picks by this organization that have had a true long-term impact. It is staggering. It's obviously Urlacher. Uh, Tommy Harris was pretty good, Dan. I know, right. Tommy yeah, Harris cut short good. by injury. That's why I said it. it that, you know, it's, but it's, the it's, point's it's, well taken because the last decade has been miserable. Miserable. Yeah. And they let Kyle Fuller go much the way they let Roquan Smith go. And, and Kyle wonder, Long came unraveled because of injuries. And uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, but Kyle Long had a stretch there where the Bears' best offensive player was a right guard. Right. So that was not a bad tenure for him. But that's a, that's a really depressing statistic for Bears fans. Bleak look at the roster for sure. Okay, that's a great look at the numbers. Let's talk about the new addition in our next segment, Chase Claypool. All right, let's start with the compensation. Chase Claypool comes over to the Bears, and we talked about it in our emergency podcast. The Steelers get the best second-round draft pick, and some people think it was overpaying. We had um, uh, we had uh, a guest on the Mullion Haw show, the <laughs> um, Filipponi, on the, on Thursday morning, and he did not paint a very positive picture of Chase Claypool and doesn't sound like the Steelers are going to miss him. I, I, I categorize that and not with, I'm not dismissing it, but I do think that, you know, you talk to football people and they, they, they do paint a little bit different picture. There are some concerns that are obvious with Chase Claypool. Um, he has some flamboyance issues. He has some things that you want to, you know, tighten up. Obviously if you're, uh, can he be coachable? That kind of thing. I pay more attention to that and what I see on tape myself than some other, you know, outside opinions. But Dan, how how do you think you would describe 
how he's acclimated himself quickly into the hall <laughs> and into the the locker room um, with the Bears. It's been two days, right? So it's been a whirlwind for Chase Claypool, who said that his flight touched down at O'Hare at 7.45 a.m. on Wednesday. He was in the building by 10.30 and on the practice field a little bit after 1 o'clock. And so you understand that, uh, again, this isn't fantasy football. You don't just grab a guy and plug him into your roster and there's no human side to this. Chase Claypool has had to come across from, from Pittsburgh to Chicago, try to figure out where he's staying in the short term, try to figure out how he's getting to Hallis Hall every day, try to figure out where the meeting room is, try to figure out what the playbook looks like, and, and so there's a lot that's come with him trying to be out here. I can tell you that late on Thursday afternoon, he was working extra with Justin Fields, trying to get some timing down, trying to get some more uh, understanding of this offense. I, uh, we talked to the Bears assistant coaches on Thursday evening. And, and Omar Young is a, a assistant wide receivers coach here at Hallis Hall, who has basically uh, been given uh, the homework assignment this week of spending some extra time with Chase Claypool to to teach him, uh, you know, the, the formations, the splits the motions, all the things that come with Luke Getze's version of this offense. And so there's a lot of homework that goes into getting a guy ready to play. Uh, Tyke Tolbert told us on Thursday evening that that he sees a range of maybe 10 to 30 plays for Chase Claypool on Sunday. They're going to have a package in for him, and it really all depends on game flow and when and how the Bears get to the plays that Claypool will be involved in. So there is confirmation that he will have some role, uh, a minimal role, and then they've got to figure out where it goes from there. This is going to be fascinating, right? Because it's, it's November third and we talked about this the other day there is not a lot of time left to get up to speed in an offense and produce it at, at a maximum level and so it's going to be a grand experiment here to see how much chase claypool is able to to contribute right and how quickly he can catch himself up so that he's able to contribute it'll be really really interesting to see where that heads and i find it very interesting let's revisit what i was talking about at the beginning of the segment andrew filipponi from 93.7 the fan in pittsburgh was the host that offered a very scathing review of Chase Claypool, the player in, with the Steelers that was disappointing enough where a lot of fans felt he was expendable. They're not going to miss him. They love the fact the Bears gave up a second-round draft pick. They're excited about George Pickens, who, based on some uh, early reviews, people are reserving his date in Canton because of his start, even though I, you know, look, I, he's a second-round draft pick. A lot of people would have liked to seen him in Chicago, but let's not get off track here. With Chase Claypool, I think changes of scenery often benefit athletes. For whatever reason, it wasn't working in Pittsburgh. You could point to the quarterback inconsistency that changed after his rookie breakout season. You could point to maybe his own irresponsibility and lack of focus at times where it was evident on a very public stage. But, Dan, don't you? What do you think about how the Bears were able to, and I guess why they were able to maybe overlook some of those obvious concerns that were you know, <laughs> people outside because of their situation? Was it just desperation or was there some... Uh, were there other reasons and contributing factors? I mean, this is made out of need. We had this conversation in the media room uh, late this afternoon because, look, like I think there are some that are setting way too high of expectations for what the Bears actually just acquired here, right? Like, you don't get uh, superstar wide receivers with a year and a half left in their contract very often, right? And so so I, I don't think this is Calvin Johnson coming over to join the Bears. This isn't Justin Jefferson. And so set your expectations accordingly. But as Jason Leeser of the Sun-Times pushed back on, he said, listen, we're just like three, four weeks removed from the Bears going to Amir Smith-Marset in crunch time of football games, right? Now that you're mixing, you know, Nikhil Harry back in the mix, you've traded for Chase Claypool, you're, you've got Darnell Mooney, now you, at least you have a little bit more of an established, proven group of receivers that you can, that you can lean on a little bit. And so, uh, you know, you're hopeful, right, that, that, that Chase can do what he did through stretches of his time in Pittsburgh, which is make the difficult catches, make the quarterback look good on plays where he doesn't necessarily look good, right? And, and that's going to be a big key. I did think it was interesting to hear Justin Fields' tempered expectations on Wednesday afternoon, David, when he said, look, like this isn't high school football. It's not just like you look off one safety and you throw a ball deep to, to the one guy that you have and you just expect home run after home run after home run. This is the NFL. I still got to go through my progressions. I still got to go through my reads. I got to figure out if he's reliable to be where he's supposed to be in this offense when he's supposed 
supposed to be there. And so there's a huge process to that. And that's why I bring it up because even receivers that join a team, you know, in free agency, they talk about needing OTAs and mini camp and training camp just to get up to speed with their responsibilities and, and, and an understanding of the playbook. Again, it's November 3rd. You got nine games left and you're going to ask Chase Claypool to be somewhat of a savior for the receiving core. I, it's, it's a big ask. And so, uh, you know, the expectations need to be need to be modest. Well, okay, I, I, I'm, I, I'll accept that. I think that you don't need him to be a savior, but you, you don't also want to overstate the complexity of football. It's still football. And Chase Claypool is an athlete. He can run, he can catch, and he's big and physical, and he's a, he's a target that you know, is much easier to hit than somebody 5'10", 170. And, and so I'm glad that – Justin Fields publicly is tempering expectations because that's the appropriate response to this publicly, but he's got to be jacked and everybody in that coaching office has got to be jacked. And, and I have to tell you, this is where I, I, I'll admit a, a, a weak spot. I, I, I like to look at things the way that Alan Williams describes and the way that Luke Getzey probably is feeling. I think if you're a coach, you feel like you got a guy who has had success as an NFL wide receiver, the way that Chase Claypool has proven he's capable of having. And you feel like you can get that out of him too, because you've seen it. It's not a matter of, can he be an explosive player at the NFL level? You know, the answer is yes. The trick as a coach, as an organization is now, how do we get him to do that? How do we put him in a position to be that guy? And that's the challenge. And certainly it's going to be a difficult one in the remaining nine games and maybe even in the, the next year and a half. But I would love that challenge if I'm Matt Eberflus, Luke Getze, or whoever is coaching him because I have seen it before. And that's why for, if you're watching, looking at this through the prism of the Bears and through the Chicago lens, you're seeing potential impact player. If you're looking at it through the Pittsburgh lens, you're seeing – troublemaker see you later good riddance well that's okay that's pro sports at their best and their worst well listen they're gonna have to uh install the electric fence to keep chase claypool from getting off into diva territory right like you're gonna have to have that so if he gets close he gets buzzed and shocked and he he comes right back and fits into the culture that you've established that multiple coaches in this building this week have said have talked about the conversation they had with him during the onboarding process to say this is how we do things here that's everything from practice habits to how we handle ourselves in the locker room to how we handle ourselves away from the field and so they have obviously uh received some of that that intel and 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 they're aware that this is something that they're going to have to keep their arms around also notable david that that the bears out the Green Bay Packers for Chase Claypool's service, right? And so I asked Luke Getze on Thursday uh, whether he had to send an apology text to Matt LaFleur for, for, for taking the guy that might have been able to help Aaron Rodgers get back on track with the, with the Packers struggling the way they are. And he said, look, I didn't even realize the Packers were involved in those conversations. That's how in the dark I am. So he hasn't reached out to his buddy Matt LaFleur to apologize, and he probably owes him one. But I thought that was that was interesting because uh, obviously that's a, a divisional move there that, that, that you know, I, I have a feeling the folks in Green Bay uh, don't love that they were they were uh, actionless at the trade deadline. I'd love that you asked him that question, and I'd love even more that he had no idea that they were <laughs> in on it. That just shows you the bunkers that these coaches uh, work in throughout the week. And I, I don't think he was exaggerating. My sense is he probably didn't know. He is a – No, he's a straight shooter. He's a grinder, and he would have said something, and I think it was honest and authentic, and it was it was very – revealing in that it gave us a glimpse of just how hard these guys are working to try to put together a game plan that's going to work on Sunday. Yeah. And, you know, let's see. I think, you know, again, it's like the Justin Fields uh, formula, right? With Claypool, you just want to see a couple flashes here and there over the next few weeks to uh, believe that you got a guy that can be a long-term difference maker, because if he's not a long-term difference maker and you decide at the end of 2023 that his contract's expiring and you're going to let him go into free agency, well, then you just lost the trade. And so let's see where it goes. All right, let's wrap things up with our two-minute drill. The two-minute drill. The two-minute drill. Okay, Dan, so Cody Whitehair is off the restricted list. Why don't you clarify exactly what happened this week with his status? Uh, I think there's a hint that he could play. Maybe even by Friday afternoon, we'll see some activity on the injury report. But I'll say this. If Cody Whitehair is healthy, it certainly gives an offense that has – uh, some momentum in the previous two games a little bit more going into this one. 
Yeah, so the window opened for Cody return to practice, which is the first step in getting him ready to be activated to the 53-man roster. I'm having trouble reading between the lines here on whether they think he can play a full game on on Sunday against the Miami Dolphins. So it's going to be really interesting in the next 72 hours to kind of to feel that out and and see if he can play at all, if, if they're going to try to play him a little, what it, what it looks like. But that would be a, a, a great uh, return for an offensive line that's been shaken up so many times throughout this year. It was also notable that Tevin Jenkins was a he was listed as a limited participant with a back issue in Wednesday's practice. He returned to full participation on Thursday. Obviously, you, you, you kind of have that gasp when you see Tevin Jenkins parentheses back show up any times, given what he went through his rookie season. So uh, obviously something to keep an eye on. But he was able to fully participate in Thursday's practice. And you just want to make sure that at some point in the 2022 season, you have continuity on the offensive line and you can continue that gelling process. Every uh, opponent this season that has a first-time head coach, we're going to draw some parallels with Matt Eberflus and, and whoever he is facing the counterpart this week, Mike McDaniel. You can look at the Dolphins and what they did and how they did it, and a lot of Bears fans would be like, I, I want those blueprints. I want to do it that way. Tyree Kill, the, they, they, they trade and acquire, and they, they give him the big contract. Teron Armstead, the left tackle, they sign and give him the money. They've got a, a quarterback on his rookie deal that they have surrounded with weaponry. They go out and they get the edge rusher with uh, Bradley Chubb in the trade with the Broncos at the deadline. And they've got a first-year head coach who is offensive-minded. So what are the Dolphins doing that maybe the Bears can learn from? And <laughs> how big of a... How big of a compare? How apt of a comparison is that, really? If I'm not mistaken, they were able to get Tyreek Hill, Bradley Chubb, and draft Jalen Waddle with draft picks that they collected from the trade that the 49ers made to move up to take Trey Lance. Right, and so yeah. this is the this is where Justin Fields becoming a a difference maker at quarterback can help you in two ways. Obviously, if he can be your long term starter at quarterback, it's a big deal. Secondly, if you wind up with a top five, top six draft pick, and you've got teams willing to come up and pay you a king's ransom to get a quarterback that they like at your spot, look what you can do with it, David. You can go out and get Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle, and Bradley Chubb. Wow. Right, and, and now look at what's happening with Tua Tungavailoa. You're five and three. You're in the playoff picture that they're rolling there so it's a, a a notable uh sort of occurrence that has happened in miami over the last a couple of years here that, that that is worth taking a look at again we just go back to adding weaponry right like just find find standouts find weaponry find playmakers and then all of a sudden the results show up on on game days quickly dan uh, this year we've talked every week about how fortunate i feel like these coordinators uh, we are to listen to these coordinators, Alan Williams. We talked about Luke Getze, straight shooters who really articulate themselves very clearly and directly. And I like the way they speak about the challenge at hand. And this week we heard from Alan Williams on Tyree Kill and the offensive challenges and innovation that Mike McDaniel offer with the Dolphins. And Luke Getze also just talking about the big picture outburst that the offense <laughs> provided. Right. And one, one of the outbursts was the touchdown pass from Justin Fields to Cole Komet in Dallas. And I asked about this play and I, I have a tendency to get a, a, infatuated with plays at times. And this is one I've been infatuated this week because from the press box in Jerry World, it, it the way it unfolded to our bird's eye view was really cool because you saw it opening up right as it happened. It's a great play fake. It's a play action play. And Komet runs a really, really nice route. Well, Luke Getze tells us today that that when they ran that play in practice last week on Friday during the red zone period, they, they were disconnected on it. And it was missing a few times. And, and Cole and Justin got together to make some adjustments to the route so that they could hit it well. I asked Cole Komet in the locker room, can you just help me sound a little smarter as I'm describing this to people. He said, look, it was just when we ran it a couple times in practice, I was getting too far outside to the, to the sideline and we were running out of room. Justin threw me a couple good balls, but there was just not enough room there. And so they changed his release point and the way he went at the cornerback. And they said, listen, we ran that play as a run five times in that game against Dallas, right? So you're trying to sell run in there on that play. And so as they're selling run, he said, I just ran as hard as I could at that corner, trying to scare him into thinking I was going to, going to absolutely bulldoze him as a run blocker. And in being able to take away his vision, he can't see whether Justin hands the ball off or not, gets tricked, kind of slides inside, and Cole Komet comes open on that, right? So Justin throws a nice ball. It's a touchdown. These are details, right? And the reason, I, the reason I bring it up is because it's significant because the Bears offense has been in the red zone more the last two games, and they've scored in the red zone more. There's been 6 of 10 inside the red zone the last two weeks, and that's an example of just small things that create 
plays, right? Scoring plays, plays that help you win football games. They obviously didn't win that game, but it's it's a nice moment for a young quarterback and a uh, a receiving tight end who got his first touchdown in a while. Uh, just really cool to kind of kind of map that out with some of the guys who were involved with that. And what did Williams say about Tyreek Hill and McDaniel that stood out? Look, it, yeah, just what we talked about earlier that, you know, the Waldo reference, like you got to find Waldo on every single play. Where is he? And, I, you know, in my brain, I'm thinking he's never uh, who, who knew that Waldo ran a 4240. You know, like this is this is uh, Waldo in a cheetah suit here, obviously. And, and so the Bears are going to have to look for him. And the last thing, Dan, is I think that we all will watch Tua Tungavailoa and, and feel fortunate that he's on the field. And some of us will look at it and think, well, should he be on the field? Understand those reactions. You just hope that he's uh, somebody who takes care of himself and stays healthy, not only this season, but throughout the course of his career. Two scary concussion incidents earlier this season. Looking forward to our colleague Colleen Kane in the Tribune on Sunday uh, has a, a big story on, on the matter. What can you add to that? And, and just, the, you know, from a human standpoint, you know, we saw Tua stumbling uh, on national television, and it created quite an out- uproar, and uh, understandably so. And that wasn't that long ago, really, when no. you look at it. We're talking about a brain bruise. You know, thigh bruises take a long time to heal. You wonder how his brain is, and yet he's going to be in harm's way again Sunday at Soldier Field. Yeah, and the fencing response, right, that we saw on national television, was, was it was one of those moments where, uh, again, you're watching it, and you kind of feel sick to your stomach, right? And you say, man, I really hope this guy's okay. He leaves the stadium uh, or leaves the field, right, on a, <laughs> on a, on a board, and, and you're just thinking, man, this is, this is, a, this is a sport that, that puts you in these positions more often than you'd like to be put in these positions and it's dangerous. So Colleen is digging in kind of on, on the, the way the game day operation works between coaching staffs and players and the independent people that are, that are there to try to identify these things to help protect players. We've talked about player safety for well over a decade now and trying to, to, to get our arms around the concussion thing. And so Colleen's talked to players in the bears locker room. She's talked to, to Dr. Alan Sills of the NFL. She's talked to, to, to others anonymously who, who talk about the layers to all of this. Some of the layers is trying to figure out how do you protect players from themselves. Right. And, and guys will be open to you in, in saying, look, like, we will create a, a, a false result on our baseline test for concussion protocol, answering questions slowly so that if we ever get dinged in a game, if, you know, if we answer a question slowly, well, we've already set ourselves up to be like, oh, that's the norm. He's just slow in answering questions. And so you have this urge of players to want to play through anything and, and, and want to cheat the system and want to get through. You have, you know, doctors and coaches who are competitive or, or coaches who are competitive and then doctors who have to, to work with that. There's a lot of layers to all of this. And, and Colleen's taking a really good look at it. I would encourage people on Sunday morning to go to chicagotribune.com or go out to the newsstand and pick up a Tribune and read this story because it's a, a part of the sport and a part of the game that's worth uh, illuminating and, and talking about for a little while. And it's, it's a really, really good piece of reporting. Looking forward to that. You can find it at chicagotribune.com. You can find this podcast, Take the North, on your free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You can download, listen, subscribe. Let us know how we're doing. Give us some feedback. It's been a busy week. It's going to get more interesting Sunday on the lakefront. Anything else before we wrap things up, Dan? I do have one last thing to add because we got a nice little new stat from inside Hallis Hall from receiving coach Tyke Tolbert. The topic of conversation is the way that the Bears receivers have been blocking. We talked earlier about how the, the Bears are on pace for 3,000 rushing yards, and that doesn't happen unless you have buy-in from your receivers blocking. Well, Tyke Tolbert has a stat that he came up with when he was working in Denver called the impossible. And he said he would watch tape of receivers around the league and he would see running plays where where wide receivers didn't touch anyone and he would say that's impossible it's a running play you got to go touch someone so now in addition to grading loaves and grading hustle and grading effort he, he gives guys impossibles if they call a run play and they don't touch anyone and he said so watch for this on the game on sunday and watch from the rest of our games sometimes guys will will have an assignment on who to block and the run play will get stopped quickly and they won't have gotten to the guy they're supposed to block yet and they still go and touch him he said it's even gotten to a point now where guys are coming back to the huddle and just so they don't get hit with an impossible in the film room they'll go just touch an opposing player just so that they can make sure that they don't get the impossible so it's a fun stat that we learned about today and it'll be worth tracking as the season goes on i love that i I love that idea and they are very good downfield blockers and chase claypool uh to come full circle he can block as well with that big body and that athleticism he's not afraid he's a willing blocker and i'm looking forward to that 
And looking for- yeah, looking forward to the game Sunday. We actually have a game after after the week that we've had out here. It's easy to lose sight of the fact that the Bears play the Dolphins at noon on Sunday. We'll be there. We'll be there at uh, Soldier Field noon on Sunday. You can check us out Sunday night with our instant reaction and analysis of the game Bears and Dolphins on the lakefront. Thank you for listening to the Take the North podcast, free on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. We will talk to you on Sunday night. Great talk. See you out there.